and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock podcast, your Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn and today myself and Kira Daly are coming to you with a special episode from our home county of Galway. <laughs> so uh, rather than recording in our rooms on Zoom, we're actually outside on a farm and we'll find out a little bit more about that later. <laughs> But uh, before we get into the episode, a reminder that we're an independently run podcast and if you like to support what we do, you can do so by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. So for today's episode, we are on Green Earth Organics Farm in Currandola, County Galway, and we're here with uh, Kenneth Keevy. So Kenneth, thanks a million for having us out to the farm today and joining us on the podcast. So thanks for inviting me. so as I said there in the introduction, we're outside, we're on your farm here. So can you tell us a little bit about where we are and the work that you do here in Green Earth Organics? Absolutely. Thanks a million, Dara and Kira, for inviting me on. A pleasure to be here. Yeah, so this is Green Earth Organics Farm. It's about uh, 28 acres in total. Um, it was my granddad's farm, basically. So he far- he was a mixed farmer here. So that's two generations ago. He had veg, he had chickens, he had all sorts of stuff, you know, so he did everything. Um, and and then, my, then my dad came in. My dad couldn't take over the farm for, for a couple of different reasons and it was rented out for a period of time. And then basically um, we're just trying to make a decision about uh, what, what would happen to the future of the farm. So uh, the farm is, is, yeah, so it's, it's three generations and, and now it's an organic vegetable growing entity, basically. Um, great. And can you tell us a bit more about sort of what kind of stuff you you grow here and what you do here and maybe a bit about the business because there's a lot more than what happens in the farmyard to Green yeah. Earth Organics. Yeah, sure. So so basically, I suppose, look, um, we started out here growing vegetables on a quarter acre site just where the big packing shed is there now. And that was back in 2005. At the time, I was working in Medtronic in Galway, you know, and uh, we were just supplying car- and stuff to friends and family and that um, and basically from there then we're just going to you know I just wanted to get get into doing it in a more kind of uh, commercial way to try and make a living from it you know which at the time was you know I guess there wasn't too many people in the west of Ireland growing vegetables vegetable farms were closing down not opening up so um, it was kind of to take a a route in a new direction you know so the farm itself now is a mixed vegetable holding we have about I suppose 15 acres of vegetables all sorts of different types we're sitting here in the yard and behind me is um, there's a thousand tomato plants so a we have har- delicious tomato plants uh, yeah. <laughs> and there might be 999 now after the <laughs> me and Dara made well absolutely <laughs> feel free to taste the produce as we go so you know we grow we're right in the, se- the centre point of Irish production at the moment and We've got tomatoes and kale and broccoli and we grow grow everything, you know, so um, so there's a lot going on on the farm. And then obviously, um, I guess I don't know if you want to talk about it now or later on, but the kind of the business model we have is unique, I suppose, in respect of how we get what we grow to the people that finally end up eating it at their kitchen table, you know. So a lot goes on here. Um, we have a lot of people employed and uh, yeah, it's just it's a busy, busy place. So. One of the things that I love about Green Earth Organics is, well, obviously it's very convenient for me. You're only maybe about two miles up the road from where I am, so it's very easy for me to get my hands on delicious produce. But one of the things I love about what you do as a business is kind of the work that you do in terms of, well, specifically on social media is the easiest place to come across that. You're really kind of active in kind of educating people about what you do at the farm and why you do it like that. Um, and something I suppose that would be interesting to kind of touch on is how, you know, whether it was after getting into organic farming that you decided that you needed decided right. that you needed to start okay. doing this or vice versa, did you say, I need to start doing this and I'm going to become an organic farmer? <laughs> what, what did that journey kind of look like? Right. Okay, Kira. thanks for the question. Yeah, so I guess, look, um, 
uh, going back to right back when I was a small kid, you know, I was, um, you know, I wanted to be a member of Greenpeace and I wanted to be with Friends of the Earth. And I remember when the first bottle bank started up in Galway outside what was Quinsworth at the time <laughs> and trying to convince my parents that the bottles should go to the bottle bank and not into the bin. And it was always something yeah. I thoroughly believed in, you know, the planet, the trees, the biodiversity. It was just something that was inside me that yeah. was there. And um, I worked on a farm for years as a kid growing up. My father wanted me to be, you know, wanted to know the value of hard work and to work summers. And I remember the end of my fifth summer and I got three sheep and I, I just didn't want sheep <laughs> and I didn't want to do farming at that stage. I was a teenager and yeah. all that, you know. So, um, so yeah, so that kind of was always there uh, deep down, I suppose, a belief that we have to take care of the planet and we have to yeah. do right by it, you know. Um, and then I went off to university, I studied chemistry, I w went off and worked in the pharmaceutical industry, I started working in the biotech industry. So I was dealing a lot with chemicals and all the time the farm here at home was, as I was saying earlier, it was being rented and my dad was talking about whether he would sell it or what. Yeah. And I wasn't really happy doing what I was doing. So myself and my wife Jenny took the jump and said, look, right, we're just going to do it. I'm going to go back to Ireland, we're going to take over the farm. We're going to do something right for the planet and what can that be? Yeah. And we figured out that growing vegetables without chemicals, local food production would be the right way to go. Yeah. And that's what we decided. And then we made the transition and we did the jump and here we are today, you know, 20 years later. Like, yeah. So. And how do you find the response, I suppose, to, you know, trying to communicate all of those efforts to uh, an audience online? Yeah, well, I guess if I go back to the start, maybe it was very funny because we were like back, to, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't polytunnels. Now yeah. everybody has polytunnels, but back then there wasn't, you know. So we put up our first polytunnel and there was, um, you know, great interest from and not always positive interest yeah. either. We had the Gardaí visited us one time, oh. came up <laughs> to see what we were doing in our special polytunnel out the back. Okay, strange blow-ins from the UK, <laughs> but we weren't blow-ins because we're from here, but yeah. we we were doing something new yeah. and they wanted to have a little look around so I'm not sure what was going through their mind well I do know what was going through their <laughs> mind but nevertheless they heard about your cherry tomatoes yeah special plants <laughs> that we had growing there so you know anyway so that was funny and 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 then there was the kind of the local contingent the, the roundup came into the debate yeah. and growing without chemicals it was a new thing back then so um yeah, I've lost my train of thought now. What was the original question, actually? Just, I suppose, the re you've kind of covered it, I suppose. Oh, the communicating, yeah. To, yeah, communicating yeah, well, I, I mean, I suppose that's kind of what's kind of grown with the business then is the education and the peace and trying yeah. to let people know that this is really important. And I'm not saying we're really important, but, you know, how we produce yeah. our food has a big impact on the health of our planet. Yeah. Like, and I feel quite passionate about that. Good. Yeah, I suppose uh, what, what you said there about education and, you know, I'd echo what Kira says, the stuff you put up on socials are great and it's something on the podcast, Kira and Anna, our co-host, are always kind of slagging me because I'm always talking about food and, you know, how food... I slag you for talking <laughs> about birds. I welcome talking about food. <laughs> and how food insecure <laughs> Ireland is and stuff. But I suppose on that education kind of idea, can you explain, like, how is what you're doing here different, you know, what, what makes organic farming and what makes what you're doing different to other farming in Ireland and what are the benefits of that when it comes to climate, when it comes to biodiversity? Absolutely. So I think the key thing for us is the connection with the person who's eating the food, you know, yeah. and trying to explain how the food is grown and the impact that that growing has on the environment locally or globally or whatever. And to make just to try and raise the level of awareness around food a little bit, you know, so when we were started out and when the crash came in 2010 and we had to start supplying supermarkets, we lost that connection with uh, people, you yeah. know, and it wasn't something I enjoyed. So, you know, we show people how we grow tomatoes and how to side shoot them and what's involved and the amount of work that goes into it. And, you know, when you don't use chemicals, the benefits that you see around us, we have beehives, we have bees, we have flowers, we have birds. You were talking about birds earlier. There's a myriad of biodiversity alive on this farm. And you only need to look left or right to our farm to see where there's monocultures of grass and no trees mm -hmm. and what impact that has on biodiversity. So 
big, large-scale conventional food production has a massive cost that isn't ever realised at the supermarket level. The cost now is becoming clear, I think, from the perspective of you know what's happening to our planet. And this is a cost that's going to be unquantifiable, you know. And 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 these are the little things we can do in the little places to try and change that and make improvements and you know have a positive impact. And making those taking those choices does make a difference you know and I think that's one of the things we can all suffer from is getting carried away by well it doesn't matter anyway you know whatever yeah. I do what the hell is it how much of a difference is it going to make you know yeah so yeah yeah and I think it's one thing for me you know when things get overwhelming or, or whatever and how big things are food is something you know you eat every day and if you have that connection to your food and to the people that are growing it it's a really empowering thing as yeah. a consumer. Like I, like I find, I find that, and well, I don't know if it's, I, I, I would have ordered boxes from you, but now I'm in the office in the day that, <laughs> that you deliver up to Dublin, so I, I can't do that. But I remember like the, that feeling of getting the delivery, you know, from you, and you know, having the different food every week, and having the challenge of you know having to do something with the different ingredients you wouldn't normally have, and that kind of thing. But it is, it's such a powerful thing and, and just having that connection with food that a lot of people don't have Yeah, um, and it, uh, Exactly, and it's happened though, it's happened kind of nearly without us even realising it's happened because yeah. you just go back a generation and you had that connection with food mm -hmm. and now the way food has been sold and packaged and delivered, you know, it's removed us from the understanding of what the impact the production of the food has on the people, on the ground, on the land, on biodiversity, on the planet. Everything is taken away and yeah. I've often said it, you know, you go to the supermarket, it's very convenient, it's very easy, it's wrapped in plastic, it's there, it's shiny, it looks great. But you have no idea really the story behind that pepper or the carrot or whatever it is yeah. and what, what, you know, either benefit or damage it's done in its journey to your, to your supermarket and then on to your place, you know. So. Something you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier was just kind of about what makes your business unique. And we've kind of got a little insight into, you know, your relationship with the supermarkets. Could you kind of give us a little bit more? You're not selling into, like your business model is unique in that you sell direct to the consumer. So could you just give us a little bit of insight into why you've made that decision? You know, it was something you did previously. And absolutely. And just how it works as well, maybe. Yeah, how yeah, yeah works, absolutely. Yeah. So look, I guess back in the day when we were we were supplying a, a super value uh, chain and um, it was good for us at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what can happen. Uh, and I, I know for a fact this is what can happen in the beginning. Things can be, well, you know, you're the supplier and you know, you, you think you've been treated with respect and yeah. all the rest. So we had a chain of stores and we were delivering to them and that was great. And, uh, and sales would go up and down. And then one day a, a manager in one of the stores changed or their kind of approach to their margins or whatever yeah. it was changed. And, and that Monday we didn't get an order and that was our biggest, uh, biggest customer and we didn't have an order. And I spoke with the manager and the manager said, listen, yeah, of course, no problem. We can give you an order, but you need to drop your price. You need to be responsible for the waste on our shelves. You wow. need to manage our shelves yeah. and you need to take the stuff away. Um, and you need to deliver to us and, and just be responsible for the whole thing for less, That's which really, didn't make yeah, it like with sustainable. One, one day they just turn around and change those On terms. a Monday. Yeah. And I guess I'd be quite you know, emotional in that respect and my reaction wasn't considered or, you know, like, well, we have to work with this. It was just like, that was that yeah. we'll find another way you know and we ditched them in a fit of rage i suppose <laughs> which probably wasn't the best business decision ever it could have been more measured but you know yeah. it was the right decision at the time yeah and i know a lot of conventional farmers we have you know you see what's been happening this year with uh, farmers closing their doors and shutting yeah. down and they're not talking about asking for huge amount increase in price for the primary produce they're producing you might be talking about five cents on a head of celery I mean, yeah. why can't that be given if that's going to save the local production of food, organic or otherwise, you know, yeah. and it won't be. Something I've seen you talking about a bit on, on Green Earth Organic social media pages is about loss leaders and how yeah. 
vegetables are often the loss leader. Could you just give a little bit more insight into what that is? And yeah, absolutely, Kira. Yeah, so loss leading is where a supermarket uses a product or produce to entice people into the shop, and mm -hmm. it's sold way below, um, you know, the cost value of production. So if you go back a few years, there was a t there was a Christmas there where Brussels sprouts and carrots were sold at, I think, five cents or ten cents wow. per pack. I don't know if you remember that, but it wasn't that long ago, maybe five or six years yeah. ago. There was big uproar from both the community and the farmers, you know, because that was basically number one, degrading the value of the yeah, produce that absolutely. somebody's worked really hard for. It's really disrespectful. Uh, and secondly, even though the supermarkets take a percentage of the hit there, they expect the farmer to contribute to that. So how can you produce food for five? How can you produce a bag of carrots for five cents? That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely uh, crazy. We're just having one of the tractors coming in to the to the yard there now. So. Yeah, and it kind of changes, what angers me about that is it changes the consumer's perception. You know, it changes the value that they place on that product. Well, and yeah. we kind of already have a huge problem with that. We don't need any kind of more fuel thrown on that fire. Well, absolutely. And I think there is, um, I can't remember the exact piece of legislation, but there is legislation that prevents the um, uh, selling of certain items below the value or the cost of production, but it doesn't apply to fresh produce, to fish, to meat, or to vegetables, yeah. which is crazy, you know? Um, and that's w the one thing that could change that would level the playing field and make it fair and would encourage, you know, a bit of stability in the whole industry mm -hmm. and maybe encourage people that are thinking of getting out of it to stay in it. Yeah. And supermarkets have, you know, they have all the power, they have all the retail space, they can dictate exactly what the price will be. Farmer has no choice in the matter. And what you said there about um, devaluing, uh, devaluation in people's minds, well, that's a very important one because it devalues, you know, probably the best food we can eat. And it's saying it's not worth crap. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just not worth anything. That's so. actually something I was saying before we went on, I interviewed you I think it's over four years ago now at this stage for a different project and something that you said that really stuck with me was that you know we eat food every day <laughs> it's going into our bodies it's so important and we need to value it and we need to we need to show that value by being willing to pay more for good produce you know that is good for people and good for the planet and like it's something that you know obviously not everyone can do it you know some people are in especially at the moment, really difficult situations yeah. with the cost of living crisis, that kind of thing. Absolutely. But I think as a powerful, it's a really powerful thing that if you are in a position where you can pay a little bit more for your food and value it from a financial point of view and from a personal point of view, it's such a, it's such a, such a big thing. Yeah, it makes such a difference. And you, you know, you hit the nail on the head earlier, you're saying, you know, um, the cost and the value and the value then to the planet and the value to your health. We had um, Sean Owens, who's a doctor, a, an MD, or is that what we say here in Ireland? He's a, he's a you know, GP yeah. um, and he's a member of Doctors for the Environment. And they brought out a report there a few in, in May about um, about how food affects our health. And I loved what he said about, you know, it's an investment in your health pension for the future. It's very hard, though, to realize yeah. what's going to happen in 20 years as a result of your choices now. But it really does make a difference, you know. Yeah. And if we can see that, then it helps justify paying a little bit extra for your food. And you're right, of course, there are a lot of people who are finding things very difficult. And how can you say, well, we want you to pay more for your food then as a result. But on the other hand, what do we put value on as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, that's it. Um, so can you talk then a bit about, say, a bit about that model of, of delivering direct to the customer and, and how, how that works? Because it's not just food from the farm that, yeah, that you deliver yeah, as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So look, we started out, we discovered quite quickly that just because we grow something doesn't mean people want it. And yeah. we grow stuff because we like it and it's easy to grow, but nobody's going to eat it. So that's not going to work out too well for you. And you still have a logistical challenge of getting something from Kerndale and Galway to say swords in Dublin. Yeah. And how do you manage that, you know? So how do you manage it and still stay in business as well? Because it's a costly affair, producing food, packing food, and then doing the delivery, the whole thing from start to finish. Um, and that caused two different changes to the business. One was we figured out quite quickly that we can't grow everything on the farm and we needed help from other growers to support 
this kind of network that we're trying to develop. So over the last two years, that's changed dramatically now where we have other growers that are growing crops for us specifically at an agreed price, which is a fair price. And we agree to take a certain amount from them at a price we agree and we don't change that. So there's a network of growers that we get produce from all organically certified and we pack that and then we deliver it. We also have grocery products and we have to we've had to bring in the grocery products to try and make the delivery sustainable and also to give customers an option to buy sustainable healthy groceries and most of the stuff we stock is plastic free and that's one of the other kind of guiding principles of the business so yeah so you deliver you deliver nationwide people anywhere around the country yeah you know, and we you know, yeah and obviously we people can go onto our website and order whatever they want um back in the day back in the early days it was just a fixed box but we also found out that people want a bit of flexibility so now you can go and choose to buy some of our lovely cherry tomatoes that will be picked fresh here packed into paper bags and delivered to your home wherever that is in the country or some of our broccoli or kale or some of Endahoban scallions or Battlemount Farms organic new potatoes or whatever it is and we'll pack it up deliver it to you in sustainable packaging wherever you are whatever part of the country yeah 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 and I suppose yeah I suppose kind of as I was saying I, I can't <laughs> with the way things are at the work at the moment I haven't been able to order for a while but what I really like is, you know, you were talking earlier about how the supermarkets, you don't know where the food has come from and, and that kind of thing. Whereas I feel when I'm getting it from here, <laughs> you curate it almost, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's kind of like, well, you know, yeah. you've done your you've done your due diligence. So, you know, these even the tinned chickpeas or whatever, you know, they're, they're as good as it gets. So that's what I feel. It kind of takes any of that stress or worry yeah, out of it. It's yeah. like, well, you know, I know, you know. I know what your business is about. I know you've done the research, so actually I don't have to worry. You know, I don't look any further. And there's real, real peace of mind in that. Well, thank you for that, uh, Dara. And it is something like when we're making a decision about how we grow something, if we're going to grow it sustainably, and then all the other steps down the yeah. line have to be as sustainable as we can. Ma actually, we just had a, a team meeting in there, and one of the questions last week was about the compostable bags that we pack our kale in. Yeah. And so we had to go and do a little bit of research, and it's PLA, polylactic acid. Um, and it was good. The member of the team brought it up, and it wasn't. it's not plastic, it's not petrochemically derived, but at the same time, um, it's not. It's, it needs to. It uh, takes longer to degrade. But we discuss things like that at a level. The people who work in there are thinking yeah. about this stuff, which is great. Yeah, know? like it's obvious that you know not every business can do every single absolute element of their business like A1 that's just not ever going to be realistic but that idea that you guys are at least trying and are always reviewing and always figuring out it's like exactly what you say like when I come here I'm just it's not I don't have to read labels I don't have to pick everything up I, have to have, I can just pick, get what I need and go out and like that's actually a real unique kind of thing to yeah, be able to do when you're trying to do things yeah. sustainably because you're constantly being like can I do this and then you're looking at the price so at least you can just be like come up to Green Earth Organics and be like okay I just do these things and go about the rest of my day um, yeah absolutely and can you just talk then you mentioned all, all the kind of staff you have because that's one thing that I find really it, it, I feel is missing from the conversation around agriculture in yeah. Ireland is that, you know, you said this is a 28 acre farm and, with, you know, say the farm that we have at home would be around the same size or, or a bit bigger. And, and a lot of family farms like that that are that size, it's just one person running them, you know, or it's just, you know, maybe two people that, you know, the farmer and his wife or whatever. Yeah, right. Whereas on, on this farm, you're employing loads of people you know people talk about rural decline in Ireland and stuff whereas actually this isn't just good for kind of the planet either you have a model where on on a farm if it was say beef might only be employing one person you're how many people are you employing and yeah so here? so it's I suppose there's kind of there's the farm aspect which is depending on the time of the year four or five six people it's very labor intensive yeah. picking vegetables we have a lot mm -hmm. of machines as you can see around me here and tractors and things for weeding and all sorts of bits and bobs but nevertheless 
most of the produce is harvested by hand and that takes people you know people are missing yeah, yeah. from the fields yeah. of ireland today it's just the way it is yeah um but in total in the whole business there's 35 people um you know that doesn't just involve the farm of course it involves the quality control and the packing and the administration and the delivery and the marketing and this and that and all the other bits that we try to kind of keep all the balls in the air while we're juggling them all you know so it's a busy little place you know and I, and I guess you're right rural decline is is an issue and trying to get people back to see other opportunities on the land and that's one thing I guess we've seen we've seen a lot of people come through here and then learn a little bit and then go off and start their own small vegetable farm there's been a number of people who've done that mm-hmm. and, and I think there's been a growth in um you know, small organic producers around the country led by young people, which is fantastic because you need the energy. Let's face it. Oh, my God. It was 20 years ago. I was a good bit younger then. You need the energy to get through that early days. You know, you really do. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's it. There um, have been a lot of stories lately about kind of crop yields and how, you know, the weather has really impacted that. Mm-hmm. Um and in Ireland, we just had the hottest June ever, followed by the wettest ever July. So how has that affected things for you here at Green Earth Organics? So I think, Kira, the thing that we've seen since uh, 2018, which is probably one of the years that will stand out in most people's memory, with the beast from the east, uh, Hurricane Ophelia just before it, and then a mad drought. Yeah. Three climate related disasters in one year just recently may and june were very very dry unseasonably hot we've had to invest in a water tanker to water crops and people you used to laugh at that in the west of ireland in galway why are you irrigating in galway are you mad in the head but now it's a reality it's the change in the the seasons the change in the climate Uh, crops are stunted for two months without water which it was six or seven weeks i think we had no rain yeah which is highly unusual but becoming a lot more usual so that affects crop yield in that the plants don't grow without water right and then july you have a cold wet july and that further inhibits growth it waterlogs the soil it increases disease pressure on plants it has a big impact on on yields you know so it does absolutely affect us Yeah. yeah that must be a big stress on like obviously from a business standpoint that's an obvious stress but in terms of you know when you've got all of these people that you're employing you know it's that's an additional you know that connection between the food and people who are growing it it's it's really apparent when you think of it through that lens as well well i think think, you know that's you meant you asked earlier about the you know the communication on social media and we try to communicate the reality of what's happening and the you know the the challenges that are involved and I think like we've a lot of loyal customers a lot of people are very supportive of what we do and we're very grateful and thankful for that Um, and just to show like this is the reality here look this stuff is waterlogged it's not going to grow it's going to die but you've made all the investment you have all the overheads and what do you do with that you know yeah and we're really lucky we're in the west of ireland we have a nice climate relatively speaking compared to what's happening in other parts of the world you know where there's huge production of commodity crops yeah in in relation to that kind of those crops that are being grown outside of ireland or whatever like food production outside of ireland as a whole how would that impact what you're doing here at green at organics if at all yeah, so it impacts us quite a lot, I suppose, because our remit is grow it ourselves if we can. Yeah. And we've discovered we can't grow everything. So then we grow, we get other Irish growers to grow stuff that we don't grow. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you see that you we pay more for the Irish produce. We It costs more to grow Irish produce. Yeah. Labour costs are higher in Ireland. You know, it just costs yeah. more. So then you have the situation where a lot of cheap food has been imported and you're trying to compete with that and you just can't. You yeah. just can't do it. It goes back to your question about loss leading earlier. If we devalue the fresh food and we're buying imported cheap food and then we're seeing Irish food that is that bit more expensive, uh, is a consumer prepared to pay the price yeah. to support the Irish farm? But we think people are. I think it's one of those things that seems to be a winning argument that people are want to support Irish, you yeah. know, where it isn't prohibitively more expensive. Yeah. Um, and just on what you were saying there about the weather and, and the kind of June and July, is it, I don't know where I saw this, but is is it kind of helpful for you in dealing with adverse weather that you grow such a mixture of things? Is it kind of that there's, you know, there might be a couple of 
crops you have to write off, but there'll always be something that will make it through. Is kind of, <clears throat> is that smaller scale, more diverse growing, is that kind of more climate resilient than the kind of monoculture approach that we see in most Absolutely. of the country? What a great point, you know, absolutely. I mean, Ten points a, for Darren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an important uh, point though, you know, because there's a couple of different things in there. Firstly, I suppose, uh, growing stuff sustainably means your soil is in better condition if you've got a lot of water it can hold the water it doesn't flood it doesn't you know it doesn't um, get waterlogged as much it's able to tolerate the stresses that we're seeing now you know because the soil and with you know healthy soil leads to healthy plants so that's the first thing that um let's wait for the tractor maybe to to, to go by so, um, and then, you know, small production, lots of variety. Of course, variety is the spice of life, as they say, you know. So if you've got kale over here and leeks over there, they may need different conditions and one will thrive and one may not. So you do, you have a certain element of resilience in there. And when you go grow to large monocultures, that's absolutely what, what's missing. And not only that, but what you're planting into isn't as resilient. So you have a double negative. So going to more diverse as our grandparents did, and I'm not saying go back to the dark ages, but it's, it's definitely a way that we can tackle and still grow food whilst the climate is in the flux it's currently in, you know? Yeah. You kind of spoke about, well, we've, we've covered kind of, um, you know, the costs and the labor that's associated with, with organic farming. Um, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, that kind of, the devaluing almost of vegetables <laughs> for some reason here in Ireland. Is there any kind of like government or industry supports that you would see as being necessary to kind of, like how do we incentivize more organic, more growers to become organic and how to grow that, that element of the food industry here in Ireland um, so that we can kind of Im increase the amount of sustainably produced food that we have, but also so that we can make it more affordable to the consumer or at least make it accessible because, you know, reality is organic veg at the moment is not accessible to everyone, the, like organic anything. Hmm. And even sometimes not organic as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah so absolutely. Kind of, is there any? It's a big question, but I'm sure you've got the answer. <laughs> well, I don't know if I know. Well, well, I may no not pressure. be sitting here in an old farmyard, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think the bottom line comes down to um, you can talk all about supports and grants yeah. and everything else. And if you look at like the, the way supports are divvied up, it's the size of the land, the yeah. landowner, uh, you know, you're going to get a bigger, bigger yeah. grant, even if you're not producing stuff in some cases. The bottom line is you go to somewhere like France and you see the price of a head of lettuce and it's a reasonable price for the lettuce. Mm -hmm. and that would suggest that the farmer is getting a more reasonable price for the cost of production. And ultimately, a fair price for the produce you're producing is like, it's the only way. Yeah. Why yeah. does an industry, why, what other industries are expected to be supported by grant aid yeah. to be sustainable? Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. It's our food security in, an air, in a time when we need to be so aware of this. And we're going, well, you know, the farmers get the grants. And, and actually, just to put it in context, we get very little in the way of grants here. Yeah. I think we get maybe 2,000 maybe two thousand euros in a year for yeah. the farm we have here, which in the context of the impact it has on our yeah. business is nothing, you know. Something I've always found really strange about the organics, you know, about businesses that try to operate as an organic business is the fact that you, you have to pay for a certification, don't you? You do. So our certification and, and certification protects the consumer, so yeah. it's important. But there's a cost. Our cost is approximately 1,600 euros in a year. Mm. And then there's all the paperwork you need yeah. to amass, you know. Like so, you would imagine that you would need to be paying to do business badly, really. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this, this, I mean, it's this almost penalizing the people who are trying to do it right. Well, I guess, you know, there is definitely a cost to, to, to being certified, yeah. but at the same time, it kind of keeps things right as well in a way, you know, and if you're not certified, you know, you get bigger players involved. Mm -hmm. How do you know that they're actually following the rules? Yeah. And we're inspected twice a year. We would be anyway. Yeah. The certification is an afterthought in our yeah. head. We do things because we want to do yeah. them, but we have to be certified and we will yeah. be certified. So, yeah. yeah, but you're right. You have a good point there too. Yeah. Thanks. No, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Are there any things then, I know you said like, you know, it's, I think it's great that you're hammering home that point about, you know, we just need to value food, but are there things, are there sort of big picture things that you would love to see, you know, from a policy perspective or, or from, a, you know, from a grant perspective or whatever that would, that could change, that could change food, that could incentivize not just new organic growers, you know, that could incentivize, say, people to change over from, from beef or dairy to, mm -hmm. to be growing some food. Do you think they're... Well, I guess if, you know, if you're looking at it from the perspective of trying to make it more affordable, then, and we have to stay with the idea of grant aid, then there has to be more grant, grants based around production. So if you produce carrots and you're going to be producing organic carrots, then you're going to get a supplement which will allow you to sell the carrots for a yeah, lesser yeah, cost, yeah. which makes it more affordable to the consumer, you know. I don't think still though, I don't think any other business would, you know, go down that road of having to rely yeah, yeah, on yeah. that, you know, but I, I get what you're saying completely. Now, there are some good grants out there at the moment. The TAMS grant, which is available to all farmers, they've, the government has just increased the availability um, to cover solar panels and solar, solar energy production to 60% of the cost of putting solar panels on your farm sheds. How many farm sheds are in Ireland? And yeah. how could that help us yeah, in yeah. our energy heading towards carbon neutrality, you know? So why is, every farmer should have solar panels on their farm sheds at 60% yeah. grants. So many farm sheds around, yeah, why yeah, not, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. I think that's it now, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the other thing, you know, or that I find interesting about the kind of grants and the way it works is that we, on one hand, we're having this cost of living crisis where people can't afford food. But then the fact that most of the food that's grown here, the beef and dairy, mm -hmm. is for export. So export, you're not even yeah. seeing the grants bringing down, no, no, bringing down no. the price of food that's locally produced because that food is mostly imported. Mm. And it's this totally... How this much food, Dara? You love this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's around 80%. I don't think it's 80%. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but it's true, like export driven agriculture is the model we have in this country, you know, and indigenous production for indigenous supply is it's kind of an afterthought, you know, so yeah. it is. And that makes it difficult to compete in that arena because all, you know, all the supports and all the government ministers and everybody and like farmers have a huge voice, but it's all of a certain type, you know, it's all. And I have to, we, we're in a little organic vegetable production farmers were a tiny minority in this country yeah. of farmers you know so yeah. yeah and can i can i ask about that then because you know so much of the discourse when it comes to climate change and farming it's it's the kind of environmental movement and and farmers and and primarily the beef and dairy industry really at loggerheads mm -hmm. yeah you're kind of in the middle or you're in both oh, camps or don't know where I am. <laughs> don't know where I am. Some days. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, but I you know, I, I suppose you're you know long or rash anyway than me and Tara. Well yeah, yeah. I mean how How have you navigated it? And it's something that you know you, yeah, that's a good good way of putting it. How, how do you navigate that or how do you feel about all that? Or oh, do you just... I don't know if I can say how I feel about all of that. <laughs> it's a safe space. Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you know, um, yeah, so we've been, as you say, we've been at this a good few years now and there's been a lot of ups and downs over the years, you know, but just determined to stay the course. And I guess, again, it goes back to people who value what we do, supporting mm -hmm. us along the way. So that's great. And there's and there those people out there we're eternally grateful for, but the vast majority of the land area of Ireland is in the production of grass. Let's be clear, you know. I mean, it's look around. That's yeah. what we do here. We grow grass, and then we use the grass to whatever feed animals, produce beef, and produce dairy, and that's it. And is that compatible with? A planet that's warming and in our little country here do we have power to change that and I think we do I think if farmers can see there's an alternative way then you know then change can happen or maybe we need to just do less of it you know yeah. or do it in a slightly different way mm. or grow more trees to balance it out as well on all these farms you know which can be done you know, that's not a you know, that's a very uh, cost-effective straightforward way to uh, help with at least the emissions we're continuing to create yeah, and also, I mean, the big thing for me is, is from an adaptation point of view. You know, when we're so reliant on imports, when you're seeing the Mediterranean and so many places burning, burning 
it just makes sense to grow our own food. <laughs> yeah, well, what happens if, what happens if yeah. we cannot have the food imported? Yeah. What happens, like, there was, was it a couple of years ago when the fodder crisis and we were importing hay? I mean, because we needed to feed the cattle to produce the food that was going to be exported to China. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it doesn't make much sense, really, if you yeah. think about it. Yeah, and it's one thing that frustrates me, you know, that's missing from from the dialogue so much is let's forget about the emissions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's not even care about them. What's coming down the tracks, What's you know, with extreme weather and food production around the world. You know. When it's the pain, when the pain hits home, that's when real change can occur. The question is, will it be too late yeah, when yeah. the pain hits? Yeah. And with food production, it's not an industry you can just turn on. You know, like I always say, the sugar beet industry was a, an amazing model for local food production that had a whole skill set and an energy behind it, and it was disbanded overnight. Mm. And all of that skill and artistry was lost in the space of a couple of years. And all, and all the mills as well. You know, there's a mill not too far from where right. where we are, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you go again, you go to other countries and they're starting to really value the local food production more. We're a little bit behind, but I think we're starting to catch up. And, you know, you have to appreciate the farmer's challenge as well. Like, what are the options and what are the supports and what, what's been told to them yeah. as well by the, the government agencies and what, which way are they being pushed? Because there's an agenda, a government agenda too, you know, and it's going towards, you know, Intensification of dairy and beef, that's the model that the, the, uh, the government or the systems uh, wanted, want farmers to go in. So if you're a farmer, what do you do? Like, yeah, you yeah. Know? How can yeah. you combat that? You know, I spend probably way too much time thinking about that, but <laughs> <laughs> I think because the food, like food, is something I'm so so passionate about, and I think about you know the last two or three two years of doing this podcast I've learned a lot like I say to them they've watched me in real time realise the severity of what <laughs> yeah. this is yeah. but then you can't I can't help you know I know what would be great is if we reduced you know dairy farming and beef farming here in Ireland wouldn't that be great but like realistically that's you know it, we can't just turn it off overnight it off. and then yeah. I have the thing of you know, there's, I've grown up here where your farm is. This is the village I've grown yeah. up in. There's family farms. There's family, yeah, like there's farmers now yeah, who I people, knew when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. And I can see there's one specific dairy farm, which is just absolutely, it's gone insanely big. Yeah. And if I did not know those people, I would be well able to badmouth what they're doing. But I don't. And I, but I do know these people and I do understand, you know, this is the advice they've been given to do. And I can only imagine, you know, even if, we give them all of the subsidies and everything in the world tomorrow to change. Like the emotional input to having built that. I can, you know, that gives me such a sympathy and I find that really difficult to, difficult to navigate in terms of like <laughs> calling out the dairy and the mm, beef I, industry. Cause I, not the industries, but the people within it. I'm like, I'm very reluctant to go too hard on them because ultimately it's not their fault, but I understand that responsibility needs to be taken. And it's this whole big, well, I want you to give me some therapy. On this. <laughs> How have you was, I was this? at a meeting many years ago, it was a rural development meeting and there was a Department of Agriculture people there and Chagas people there. And there was a guy and he was clearly uh, uh, about to retire or whatever from yeah. either, I can't remember, was it Chagas or the department? And they were all talking about intensification and pushing forward and all the rest. And this guy got up and he stood up and he said, well, actually, you know, what was so bad about the traditional Irish farm? Mm -hmm. You know, why are we, you know, heading and following the American model in production? Yeah. Like, you think there was a lot of people weren't making okay a great deal of money, yeah. but you'll never make a great deal of money in farming. That's also yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. And why was it such a bad thing? And why do we need to intensify? And wasn't it working? And didn't it bring a, a whole pile of community and happiness to so many people? And are we, you know, and I just thought he made a great point. And I'd imagine he must have been close to retirement because nobody yeah. else in that room What's echoed that, that, yeah. that point. You yeah. Know, so, yeah. But it was it was good. It was valid. I, I like, you know, I thought it was a good one. Yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's really interesting, and I think. I think the fact you know that your farm kind of skipped a generation as well. I think that's really interesting as well because you know because it went from it went from being a mixed farm to and then carried on to being you know kind of a mixed farm or a growing farm. Because say like my dad now is uh, 
he knows so much you know Absolutely. like he grew up in a mixed farm yeah. and he knows so he knows how to grow loads of things and they would yeah. have had chickens and cows Absolutely. and pigs and everything whereas farmers say 20 years younger than them they don't have mm -hmm. They don't have it's that knowledge or that thing, skills yeah. that it, that all disappeared in a generation, yeah. and that's another huge loss, huge loss, Absolutely. and another huge obstacle in terms of if you do want to return to that model. But I think what you were saying as well there, Kira, about you know, say like knowing dairy farmers and understanding what they're doing, like until the messaging on how bad the climate stuff is. You know, it's coming crystal clear from the government. Then nobody is. You I don't know, even necessarily think it's around that. I think it's more from them a business perspective. Like I look at what's happening, and I think that's just that is just a bad business decision. Like understanding, looking at the market and how it's going to go, <coughs> and all the huge amount of investment. I'm going into it now, but the huge amount of investment that goes into it, like it actually just doesn't even make business sense to operate a business like that. But that's what and I'm, then you look at the mm. other side at the beef farmers, and like they're not like any beef farmer around this village has another job. To actually, yeah, yeah. so that they can make an income. So putting all that money in for someone to not even make an income out of it is a complete waste. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah. it just, yeah, really, really irks me. Yeah, it hits home. <laughs> but it, you know, you mentioned there the the, the off-farm income and all that. But the people who do that, you know, they want to walk the fields. They want to be out yeah. in nature as well. And then you have on the other side going, no, let's get bigger, let's get intense, yeah. let's yeah, go yeah. bang, bang, bang. And whenever you yeah. do that, you know, nature doesn't fit into the box yeah. where intensification works long term. It just yeah. doesn't. And that's where we've gone with so many other crops and yeah. with animals. It's just heart wrenching to see yeah. what's happening in that yeah. respect, you know. And it just, yeah, it really saddens me because it's a huge pressure on people that doesn't, that doesn't need to be there. And it's going to take absolute years to undo it. Like... It really is. And it's really visible when you live in the countryside. It's it's very easy to look around and see the, the toll it's taken on people, whether they know it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, indeed. <sighs> that feels good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I suppose maybe to maybe to wrap up, in terms of, in terms of really bringing it back, um, there's been some big issues we've talked about. For individuals, you know, in terms of making making good food choices or making good decisions around that what kind of what kind of advice can you give to people if they want to you know in their own small little way um, make a difference well i think that the biggest thing anybody can do is renew the connection with the land that we're walking mm -hmm. around on because once you start to appreciate that you, your perspective and how things are changes you know so and growing food is a great medium to do that to grow your first carrot or to grow a tomato plant and harvest it you realize this is nature at work it's a miracle and it's amazing and once that mindset starts to filter through all sorts of other changes happen so i think getting out and planting something planting a few beans maybe not jacking the beanstalk style stuff but just a few beans and and growing Nothing your own to food. have the cards around now yeah, <laughs> yeah you can plant, well yeah do that too but, um, <laughs> you know and i think that's 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 key i mean eat more vegetables uh climate footprint of you know plants is a lot less than of animals so by default you're shrinking your client you know your, your 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 emissions that you're responsible for eat more locally grown vegetables if you can because they have a smaller carbon footprint and if you can eat organic because that improves biodiversity amazingly so you know so and that supports a healthier ecosystem which in turn helps trap carbon and helps deal with the climate crisis that we're in you know so this is as you as you said at the beginning dara that people have control over their food to to a large extent um, and if you get past the glitzy shiny wrappers in the supermarket you can uh, you know you can make choices that really make a difference like really do they really do you know and i believe that yeah and i think for like for me it's great you know if you do buy that you know organic or you know the local place you're buying from it's not just the climate stuff it's the biodiversity is no no that farm that i've bought yeah. from yeah. that has thriving healthy soil and that has space for nature and also is probably employing people locally yeah. as well yeah, you know yeah, and yeah. it's and it's it's yeah it's a lovely a lovely feeling and biodiversity you can relate to it on a local level exactly you can relate to the bees and the butterflies and the birds and all of these things that you see that make up the area that we share you know we share the planet planet with these creatures you know so definitely it's a great piece of advice great 
Okay, I have one question before we let you go, Kenneth. I would be interested to know as to whether you use any of the terms like climate activist or climate advocate to describe yourself. And even if not, what kind of, you know, why you do a lot of great work on, on the Green Earth Organic social media, you know, to educate people about the impact that supporting an organic farm can make. Um, but what kind of joy, like what, what spurs you want to do that? Is there any joy that you have found in this journey of setting up this business? Is the, the so I, Yeah, so I don't have a, a label or anything. I suppose I'm a climate advocate, if you mm -hmm. wanted to call it something, an activist. I'd like to be more of an activist. Yeah. I think maybe if I can step back from the business a bit some stage, that will be something I definitely will yeah. be. Um, the joy I take from it, I love but I love nature, I love planting trees, I love seeing it. I love seeing the fact we can grow crops and have nature at the same time. Yeah. I take a lot of joy from that. Plus the fact that there's people out there that are, you know, um, I suppose by the fact that they're supporting us are maybe learning something or picking something up or changing their mindset as well. And that's really important yeah. for me and for the business as a whole too. So I think you know, little by little, we can make the changes. We all need to do it together. So more people do it, the better. And that's what I think. Definitely. I hope the backdrop, the sounds in the backdrop are picking up because it's such a nice. Yeah, we had swallows flying overhead and a few, I don't know if they're finches or what, and is that a, is that a chaffinch there tweeting away behind us? It's I think we need to record lovely. all our climate alarm yeah. facts. Well, just, just what we should have done actually, lads, is that thing there, that machine behind us, it's an actual flatbed weeder and you get to lie down on it and weed, so we could have actually all lied down for this. Episode two. Yeah. <laughs> um, we better wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, so that, that is it for this special episode from, from Green Earth organics kenneth thanks a million thank for the guys. chat thanks um, a million you so if people yeah, do want so to much. check out check yourselves out what where do they go please go to our website greenearthorganics.ie and you can order whatever you see all our great irish selection there all the plastic free stuff and we deliver everywhere in the country Brilliant. please support us we do appreciate it and it does make a difference and we'll be harvesting your tomatoes very soon yeah, we, had a little, we had one or two there yeah. before we started recording and they're <laughs> yeah. absolutely delicious. So thank you and thanks to you both for, oh, for the, the opportunity to we'll talk about something. We'll put a link to the, to the website in the show notes anyway for anyone that needs to find it. But this and has been absolutely lovely. Yeah, brilliant. and to the Instagram page where there is just yeah. brilliant, brilliant uh, information and updates on food production on a very local level but also the big picture stuff which is which is great um so that's it for this episode if you want to follow the climate alarm clock you can follow us on twitter at the climate alarm and on instagram and facebook at climate alarm clock and if you do want to support the work that we do you can do that on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm we'll be back with our fifth season in September or October, so keep an eye out on our socials for details Fifth, of that. Fifth, sixth season, September, November. See you when we see you. Thanks a million, guys. Great. Thanks, Kenneth. Thanks very much. Thank you so much.